All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Notable Nashville Podcast. Today's guest is the talented Cody Ballou. Cody, thanks for joining me today. Yes, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so, Cody, I know you live in Nashville. You've been here for, what, like eight years now? You know, I'm I'm rolling into my 10th year. 10 years, um, wow. Coming up, yeah. This is my ninth year that we're living in. Okay. Um, so, where are you from? Where did you grow up at? I am from uh, a small town in Arkansas called BB, um, and I grew up there. I never moved and went to college in Arkansas and started my sort of journey as, as a musician at a young age, but um, really cut my teeth as a, as a, pro- as a professional performer uh, when I moved to Little Rock after college and spent about four years really doing all the things that, um, you know, you try to do on your home turf. And then when I had checked all those boxes, I knew that the next step for me was Nashville, and I've been here ever since. So it seems like you've always kind of just uh, jumped from town to town in the south. Have you ever lived anywhere like um, Midwest or New York or anything? It's It's always been the south for you? It's always been the South, and it's really only been Arkansas to Nashville. Um, I, if I had been any other person not pursuing this thing, uh, country music, I, I probably would have tried out, um, for sure, New Orleans. It's my favorite city. Uh, but then I, there's a big chance that I, I would have made my way to New York because, um, you know, I... I love the pace of that place. Once you've been there a handful of times, you sort of get the hang of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and past that, I just, you know, I've, I've always been so focused on breaking through in the music business and in country music specifically that I never allowed myself to think about anything besides Nashville since, since I was a little kid and, you know, you just hear all the folklore about, the pilgrimage to Nashville, um, to the Grand Ole Opry. That's just, that was my, the path that I was carving out, you know? So this has always been your, your end game is Nashville. For sure. Awesome. So did you grow up in a musical family at all? Or when did, when did, uh, like music become your thing? Uh, you know, my mother, uh, had she not grown up in the generation, she was like an eighties, lady back the old uh, Katie Oslin song she was you know graduated high school in like 79 and then just went right to work because her parents you know they just said you can't afford to have dreams you have to go to work and mm-hmm. so had she grown up under a different um world view um and I think a lot of parents I'm not going to say or try to guess your age, but um, just by the sound of your voice, it sounds like we're about the same age. And it it feels like um, everyone from our parents' generation, they almost weren't allowed to dream big. They, uh, they were just told to, to work. And so had she been, um, had she been um, raised the way she raised, my brother and I, she would have pursued uh, the theater. She really wanted to do musical theater, but 
she just never allowed herself the opportunity to, to go for it. And, um, so that's really, uh, she wasn't outside of church. Um, she didn't do any professional singing. Um, but it was always there, I guess, in the blood. And then my, some of my earliest memories are of people putting me on top of a chair in the front of a little country church, you know, uh, because I was so small, no one could see me if I wasn't standing on top of something. And, um, that's, that's the, um, it was almost like it was predestined for me to be a singer. Um, I don't ever remember a time that I, you know, like when they go around the room and say, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's mm-hmm. almost like they would skip over me and be like, oh, he's going to be a singer, yeah. you know? Um, so, right. And it it wasn't that anyone forced me to do it. It's just, you know, I was from a small town and everybody sort of had a character role to play. And I was the kid that, that could sing. And um, when you've got that kind of community energy behind you uh you really do believe that you you can pull it off um it wasn't until i got to nashville and you know i i moved here on a a high just like most people that come from small markets they think that they're a big shot and i thought you know two weeks tops and i'm gonna have this thing aced um and it really was um an eye-opening experience to get here and know that the the sidewalks are paved with the <laughs> the dreams of people just like me, you know. Oh yeah. So I will ask if you if you weren't able to be a musician and you had to choose a profession, like say if your music failed, what would you be doing? What would you what What are your other passions? Um, well, you know, I wanted to study landscaping architecture in college. Um, my parents they might have done a class here or there, but they didn't really go to college in the traditional sense. Uh, they certainly didn't graduate from college. Um, and so I think because we weren't a household of, you know, or a family of people that had been through and knew the ins and outs, my parents really assumed that you had to really lean on whatever your talent was to pay for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they really wanted me because I, I I had to get a full ride or I wouldn't get to go, you know, to the places that I was hoping to go to. And so it ended up, uh, it was my academic work that got me the full ride. We learned, you know, halfway through the process that, music scholarships don't ever pay for everything. You know, they're an art scholarship. Um, so it was, it was my academic work that got me the full ride to college. And then my music work, it was just like, uh, icing on top. They were cutting me a check every semester to go to school. So, um, you know, looking back, I can't imagine doing it any other way, but, um, I find that any amount of money that I have, whether it's laying around or whether it's for the light bill, I am prone to spend it on uh, plants for the, for the outside. So I had always had a love of watching things grow and the long game of 
uh, landscape design where you plant something not for how it looks today, but how it's going to look in three, five, 15 years. Um, so I will always, um, have a passion for that. And because I don't have, um, I'm going to try to explain this in a way to understand, uh, music is something that's like, it might as well be a, a limb on my body, you know, like it's an arm or a leg to me, um, singing is. So, uh, land, doing gardening work, it doesn't, um, belong to me in, in the way that singing does. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I can participate in it in a different way. Um, a lot of way in, in a lot of ways as purely a spectator and an, and an admirer instead of, a participant, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, because with, with music, whether it's me or someone else, I'm always, you know, either judging my own work or if it's someone else's, I'm thinking about how I would have done it or, you know, how, how I would have performed it. Um, and with, with gardening and plants, I just don't, I don't have the same sensation. And it, it, it really is my, my safe zone to just, escape and, and relax my mind. Well, that's awesome. So I probably would have been, um, I, I would have been running a nursery somewhere. Well, I've got to have you come over and, uh, tend to my plants. Cause I always kill my plants. So I bought like this fern and, uh, it, I killed it within like a week. I was like, shoot, what did I do? Um, so yeah, I, I some, got, something's <laughs> up over there. You can't be killing it in the first five days. I definitely don't have the green thumb. So, um, but Cody, I, I guess your style is kind of, you know, Southern, I wouldn't call it like typical country, but it, it definitely has the Southern roots and, and a country feel to it. Um, what are some of the artists that you kind of, uh, shape your music or that you listen to daily, um, that kind of, uh, get, get inspiration for your music? Well, so, um, my musical influences are far reaching, um, which is something that I'm really proud of um it's not anything that i did on purpose it's just what my ear gravitates to but i can you'll always find patty griffin somewhere in rotation um all the the rootsy americana stuff that is just like my music it doesn't necessarily have the um the hard-edged parameters of the other genres it's it's more of like an all-encompassing roots music genre um so i'm a big fan of of, of sergio simpson right now oh yeah he's great. his his newest record is just it's really incredible it's, it's it's a masterpiece as far as i'm concerned um but i also like um i i tend to love listening to r&b singers um I'm really digging um, her since she came out playing the guitar with those sunglasses on. I, yes. I think that she's an, incre- an, an incredible talent. Um, did you see her on SNL a, last weekend? I was just going to say, she just did a stint on SNL and she just delivered like she always does. Um, so, you know, I, I tend to gravitate to female voices Um Male voices don't do as much for me for whatever reason, but um, I do, you know, I I was heavily influenced by Prince and Stevie Wonder, but 
Um, on the other side of that coin, I, uh, I worship Willie Nelson and I love everything that Chris Christopher, well, Chris Christopherson, of course, but Chris Stapleton does. Um, so if it sounds old and like it belongs in an antique store somewhere, that's the stuff that I'm jiving on. That's what you get up. Um, yeah, I, I don't really fall too hard for, um, pop music. Um, now I can, I can get down to some of it, but, um, it's just not what I gravitate to. And, and for whatever reason, I just can't seem to find, um, a common thread between what I like to listen to and the whole bro country, uh, movement. Uh, I, I understand it and I understand its appeal and I understand the audience that likes it. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think I'm such a purist when it comes to country music because it's something sacred to me that, um, I tend to, you know, I tend to stop my, uh, let's say, how, how should I say it? Where I loved it the most is when it's when the '90s sort of started to in in the purest form. To I guess. End. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, you know, I I wish that Mary Chapin Carpenter was as big a deal to everybody as she is to me. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, Cody, I want to talk about your experience on The Voice, where you made it into the top eight of season three um, on The Voice. What was that experience like? You know, it for somebody who is from a rural upbringing, um, I was one of two children. My brother's four years younger than me, and um, you know, when you're when you're a preteen and a teenager, those four years are a, a wide expanse. And so, um, I found as I was coming into myself as a singer. Um, we had this little farm, you know, out in the middle of nowhere where you couldn't see the neighbor's houses. And, um, I used to stand on the pond bank behind the barn and we had these, these hills that sort of rolled up away from the house. And I would imagine that that was an arena and I could sing up into those hills and it would all sort of bounce back to me. And, um, I always put myself in the middle of the largest crowd I could imagine. So like those, the old, you know, stadium show footage of the concerts, Garth Brooks and whoever Reba doing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so for somebody like me who was so tunnel vision focused on that, when I got to be a part of the voice, um, it was like it was like my wildest dream getting to come true once a week for that experience for three minutes at a time. You know, I was very aware and tried to be very aware of the of the moment and the and the impact that it had for me and and the impact that it had on my vision for myself because it was like realizing, um, my finest purpose really. 
And so at the same time as I was, as I was trying to hold on to those moments and, and cherish them as they happened, knowing that they were just a song at a time, um, I also knew that there was an expiration date to that, mm-hmm. that at any given week, uh, one, once my storyline was sort of milked for all it was good for with, as far as the show was concerned, then it was going to start becoming harder to stay on because, you know, I understand that they, it's the audience voting and all those things, but, um, I don't want to, you know, start spouting rigged election this close to an election day. But when you, you have to understand on those shows, everybody is a character. We all are playing a part. Right. And if you're not the, 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 you know, the pick of the litter to p- possibly win the thing, then you're a, you're part of the supporting cast. And those of us that knew we weren't the pick to win, um, we weren't being treated as the pick to win. We weren't getting the same production level at, for our songs, you know, those types of little nuances. We knew that it wasn't really, no matter how good we, we did, if they wanted us to go, we would go. And so I knew two weeks, well, I knew uh, after the, the blinds um, with the battle round, I knew that they were putting me up against singers that were so very different from me um, to, to to sort of show the, the stark contrast. And um, so I, I realized that I was like a dark horse. And then once I got through a couple of those rounds that I think the producers weren't expecting me to get through, um, I, started understanding more and more that you once once your name isn't called for another week you know you're going to have to give them their microphone back and go home (laughs) and so it's it was this this very um this very real dichotomy that I was living in of appreciating the moment, but also understanding that it was going to be over just as quickly as it came to me. And, um, so I was having the time of my life and then also trying to, um, trying to, uh, take in in a healthy way all of the attention, you know, the mm-hmm. the press junkets and the the carpets that we walked and the celebrities that were around, you know, backstage and all, all those things. And um, so then whenever it was over, they didn't call my name after the eighth, the top eight. Um, it really is as simple as the, the host, you know, says, all right, folks, tune in next week for the blah, blah, blah. And some one of the uh, staff comes over and takes your microphone off, your your pack, takes your mic pack off. And um, most weeks when you're not going home, you know, everyone goes back to the green room tent thing that's in the lot behind the, the soundstage. And the, the shuttles take everyone back to the hotel you know, for, and you get ready for the next day of whatever the work is. 
But if you're not going forward, they um, you do a little round of of, of a press junket uh, where you know you do your little goodbyes to the to the press, and then there's this little golf cart waiting at the end of the press line, and you get on that golf cart, and it takes you to um, this little they on those lots like um, the Universal lot where we filmed. There are all these like old 50s style like apartment buildings with walk-ups, you know, that are now offices on on the lot. And so we pulled up to this office, this apartment building, and we walk up to the second story, and there's this empty apartment with a little desk and one chair, and there's a psychiatrist sitting there. And he asked me, a round of questions to make sure that I understand what just happened and that I was not on the show anymore. And did I, did I feel okay? Did I feel like I was going to hurt myself? You know, all these things. And you think, wow, that seems so extreme, but it, it highlights the, the bubble that you're in where it's just this fantasy land. And so then after that, you go to wardrobe, which is normally buzzing with all the other contestants and the staff, and it's empty. And there's just one little intern in there to take your wardrobe. And you get to pick, you know, one or two little things to take with you if if you want, because it's all been fitted to you anyway. And um, then you go back to the hotel and... I was, you know, I was far enough along that the next two episodes were the finale. And so I didn't go home. I stayed um, and waited. You know, you're just sort of waiting around while because you're all going to be called back for the finale anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a little different for me in that I didn't go home the next day. But um, it took me two years. Uh, uh, it took me about six months of everyone around me back home in Nashville telling me that, you know, trying to point out the obvious that I, that I didn't want to hear, which was that's over and you've got to sort of come back to earth now and, um, put your feet back on the real floor that's, that's here. Uh, but I had, I really, it took two, two years for me to flush all of that out of my system. Um, and to not be bitter or to not, not, and to, to be realistic about what I could do next, you know, because for so many of the, of the artists that do those shows, that's as big as it's ever going to be for them. And, and that's saying a lot because it's huge. You know, season three was, as far as I know, the largest uh, visibility of an audience that the show ever had. Wow. And so we were, we were riding, you know, that was the first year the show won an Emmy. Um, and so we, we were, a uh, a, a unique cast in that we were so, it was like so popular and anywhere I went for a, 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 a little while, um, I was recognized everywhere. And so that I'm so glad that I got to do that and go through that sort of exploring what it is to be a known person. I I was not, I would never say I was a celebrity, but I was a known person there for a minute. And um, to go through that and then to 
process it on my own terms at my own pace so that now I feel like it's far enough in my past. I've got this whole new chapter with a, this label deal and a lot of support. You know, I, I've never had this kind of these, this many teams working with me. And I feel like if I hadn't done the voice, um, were that level of visibility to happen for me again, I now have such a better understanding and I'm coming at it from such a, a more healthy place to know, okay, that is fantasy world that you can participate in and engage with the fans and give them what they want and blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't have to be who you really are. Yeah. And not, not to say that you're not authentic with people, but you're not getting your kicks and your daily bread from how many people are tuning in to see you, you know, cook your lunch. If Absolutely. That makes yeah, well, I've had a couple guests from, uh, from American Idol on actually one of the, the winners of American Idol was on one of my episodes and, um, he didn't really go in, into the depth that you did, but thank you for sharing that story. Um, it seems like a, it seems like a pretty incredible experience, um, but also, like you said, it's not really, you know, all you know based on talent. It's based on what the producers want, what what everybody wants um, to win. Right. But uh, I mean, you know, breaking away from from the show, you've actually put out um, quite a bit of music and um, a, a new single that titled "A Thousand Miles from Nowhere," which you can find on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you want to see it. Um, but to wrap up, I kind of wanted to, uh, to play that song in here. Would you, would you mind telling us a little bit about the song of, of why you wrote it? Sure. So it's actually a, a Dwight Yoakam song that he, he put out, uh, to major success in the nineties. Um, and I would have never, I would have never thought to, to cover this song. Uh, one of, the people at, at the label, Anastasia Brown, she's um, an A&R veteran in, in Nashville. And she brought it up and she was like, I think you would sound great covering this song in your own way. And so we got in the studio. It wasn't even supposed to be something we were going to release. It was just going to be for social media content. And I was able to, uh, to relay the way I wanted it to sound to the band in a way that they really understood instantly and got behind. And so though the original version, um, is a little, it's kind of mid, mid to up tempo. It's very much in that Dwight Yoakam kind of Bakersfield country swing thing. Um, and it's perfect for when it came out then, but 2020 in particular, you know, we were all feeling this isolation, whether we're alone or not, we're still feeling a sense of loneliness, um, uh, this melancholy sort of um, trying to trying to stay upbeat, but keep we all keep getting you know beat back. It feels like, um, and it's this like global. We're all in this together, you know. We all have a version of 2020 that isn't so unique. We've all experienced it to some degree. Um, I, ha I haven't lost any loved ones and I fortunately haven't lost my, my work. Um, but we've all had to, 
toe the line and do our part for the greater community around us. And so I wanted to convey that in, in my retelling of, of, of this story, which is, you know, I'm a thousand miles from nowhere, um, which in itself is kind of an oxymoron. And um, just to sort of play into that loneliness. And um, so I slowed it down quite a bit. I wanted it to be like a duet between myself and the pedal steel player. And, and that worked beautifully. And so um, I think we modernized it just enough. We kept the essence of, of the original. Cause I, I mean, Dwight Yoakam, it was a hit for him. So why would I change it too much? Mm-hmm. But um, I, I just wanted it to sound, I, I wanted to put to music the feeling that we've all been feeling lately. And so I hope that, that's what is translated when you listen to it. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Cody. Um, thanks for sitting down and chatting with me. And uh, best of luck to you in the future. Hope to hear some more tunes coming out soon. But uh, I'll leave the, the listeners with this, A Thousand Miles From Nowhere, everybody, by Cody Ballou. Thanks. Thank you so much. I'm a thousand miles from nowhere Time don't matter to me Cause I'm a thousand miles from nowhere And there's no place I wanna be I got heartaches in my pocket I got echoes in my head The cruel, cruel things that you said I'm a thousand miles from nowhere Time don't matter to me I'm a thousand miles from nowhere And there's no
我